0: Today on Not Sam Wrestling, the saga of Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman takes a turn. AEW does a 60-minute match on television. And who really started sneakers in professional wrestling? This is Not Sam Wrestling.
1: This is Not Sam Wrestling.
0: Introducing your host, From New York, here is Sam Roberts. Oh boy, a lot to break down today. A lot to get into. And we're here with you to do it. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling, episode 374. I am Sam Roberts. And today we are, we will get into it. The the Young Bucks gave me an excuse to talk about sneakers on a wrestling podcast again. And I am going to take that excuse. But before we get there, first of all... Happy holidays to everybody out there. I hope this is a holiday week for you. I hope you got some time off work. I hope you got some time with the family. I hope everybody's happy. Hope everybody's healthy. Hope everybody can sit around the fire, turn on the podcast, and listen to a guy in his very own studio talk about the absurdity that is professional wrestling for an hour or so today, all right? I hope you're all great. Um... And I hope everybody's uh, uh, feeling especially happy with the new Christmas gifts. If you haven't gotten a gift for a loved one yet, what better than the gift of me? You can go to cameo.com slash not Sam. Jim Norton actually got me to set up a Cameo account. So Nor- uh, 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 Cameo.com slash not Sam if you want to disappoint a loved one or a relative with a Sam Roberts Cameo. Maybe you got somebody you don't like in your life and you think that uh, me insulting them on, on the day... Uh, that Jesus Christ was born uh, would be the way to go. Whatever you want to do, cameo.com slash not Sam. Um, let's talk about it, though. Let's start by talking about SmackDown. Let's start by talking about what happened uh, just last Friday, the way the show ended. Look, I can't say that I understand everything that's happening on SmackDown on any given show, but I can say I still I'm a fan of everything going on with this Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman, Brock Lesnar stuff. Last week, we were talking about Brock Lesnar and how great Brock Lesnar is, how his babyface face worked this time around. I feel like is finally bringing a lot of people up to speed on how good of an overall all-around professional wrestler Brock Lesnar actually is. But today is not as much about Brock Lesnar as it is about Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman. I'm so glad that something happening because I was thinking about it and I was getting a little nervous to tell you the truth. We've already seen Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar at crown jewel. And this is only this version of Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. The more we think about it and the closer it gets, the more it feels like Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar is probably not only going to happen at day one, but also going to happen at WrestleMania. So the question is, how do you sell wrestling fans on seeing a match that is already main evented Wrestlemania twice once saved by a triple threat the second time booed out of the stadium and not only will this be the third time this match is main evented Wrestlemania, it'll be the third time that this match, has happened in the last 365 days. I'm talking about Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. So how do you sell us on that match? And that's what I was thinking about. What kind of story can be told that will not leave us exhausted with more rematches? I have no problem with rematches as a general concept. I think that there are plenty of storytelling devices that can be used to make a rematch make sense, to allow a rematch to make sense. However, the amount of rematches that just happen for the sake of rematches, I can't get behind. The whole, you got to beat the champion to fight the champion to maybe beat the champion again, I can't. It's like if you beat the champion in a non-title match due to some circumstance, then of course you should get a title shot. But it shouldn't be like the gateway to fighting the champion is to fight the champion. I don't, I'll never understand that. So the question is in an era where the rematch has become so prevalent, can we convince the audience that we need to see this again? And in order to do that, you need the right story told. I don't think anybody is going into day one thinking, we just saw this match at Crown Jewel, right? Like, I think that the day one match between Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns is evidence that rematches don't have to be a bad thing in general. The question is, how do you get to three? Once this makes up for like, okay, there was a creative ending to the match at Crown Jewel, and we did not get the answer as to what side Paul Heyman is on. So it leads to another match. I think a lot of people assumed that that match would happen at WrestleMania. It's going to happen a lot earlier. It's going to happen at at day one. So how do we get to WrestleMania? And I think that question started to be answered this week on SmackDown when Roman Reigns fired Paul Heyman. So we got the answer. Of course, Paul Heyman has known a, a lot about Brock Lesnar's whereabouts as of late. Paul Heyman has somehow been attached to Brock Lesnar, whether it be showing up on SmackDown in Los Angeles, whether it be returning at SummerSlam, whether it be Brock Lesnar showing up at Madison Square Garden, Brock Lesnar has made claims about Paul Heyman knowing, and Paul Heyman is somehow just always there. So I love the way Roman asked, are you an advocate or are you a spokesperson or whatever, you know, the, the wording that Paul Heyman has for Roman Reigns? And Paul Heyman said, finally, Finally, Roman pressed him on it. And Paul Heyman said, I am here to protect you from Brock Lesnar. And we're like, whoa. Because that means a couple of things. Number one, in Paul Heyman, we're talking about characters now, obviously. We're talking about the storytelling that's going on here. In Paul Heyman's head, what he is doing, he is doing to support the tribal chief, that Paul Heyman is still working in the best interest of Roman Reigns and therefore still doing his job. However, for the first time, Paul Heyman does not think that Roman Reigns can beat Brock Lesnar. Paul Heyman was not worried about Roman Reigns in the triple threat with Edge and Daniel Bryan. Paul Heyman was not worried about Roman Reigns in the match with John Cena or with Braun Strowman or with any of the other countless superstars that Roman Reigns has defeated. But now... Paul Heyman does not think that Roman Reigns can stop Brock Lesnar. So what does Roman do? Hugs the wise man, fires him, says, and Paul, you're fired. I love that he said thank you for the 40 years of service by my family, you know, bringing in the fact that this isn't just bad guy manager Paul Heyman teams with good guy Roman Reigns making Roman Reigns a bad guy. Like They weave in the fabric and the history of everything that Roman Reigns does actually is in real life in the history that Paul Heyman has within the pro wrestling industry and the way it relates to the NWA family. And then Superman punches Paul Heyman, leaves Paul Heyman on his ass, knocks him out cold. And just as it would appear that Roman Reigns is about to end Paul Heyman's life, here comes Brock Lesnar to save Paul Heyman as if, Maybe Brock Lesnar knew all along. Maybe Brock Lesnar was not lying about Paul Heyman. I thought it was a very compelling way to end, and it left a lot of questions. It leaves you with conversation as to where this story is going to go, which is the way it should be. Now, day one is in two weeks. Uh, I believe the way the schedule is, that the Christmas Eve version of SmackDown will be a new SmackDown, but it's taped. It's not going to be live. And the New Year's Eve version of SmackDown, I don't think is going to be a new show. I think it might be like a best of show or something like that. I think I read that somewhere. So I don't know, man, as good as this segment was, because again, you know, I mean, this is SmackDown to me. People go like, like SmackDown is, is, is I think, Fairly appreciated. A lot of fans love SmackDown. And I think that the main reason for that, honestly, is the Bloodlines story. I kind of want them to figure out a reason to get Roman, Brock, and Paul Heyman on Raw just so they can have the time to hit these story beats before the day one pay-per-view. Because I think that there is a lot of potential right now in a baby face Paul Heyman. I think when you're talking about short-term, you're talking about you know two weeks leading up to a pay-per-view and the way athletes are going to be presented as they enter a match on pay-per-view. I think that Roman, as a heel, with the Usos loyally standing by his side, without Paul Heyman, is just fine. Because brilliantly, as the story has been told, Paul Heyman has been dependent on Roman Reigns not the other way around. So the idea that Roman has gotten rid of Paul Heyman feels scarier for Paul than it does for Roman doesn't feel scary at all for Roman Reigns. I feel like fans love Paul Heyman so much because he's so good at what he does. Like he's one of those guys that fans boo because they love him so much, because they know that, I don't know one wrestling fan that really sits there and goes, I don't like Paul Heyman. Every, I mean, he's just so incredible at what he does. I think that Brock Lesnar on some levels is the same way. I think that there was actually more hatred toward Brock Lesnar. But I think on most levels, people, there is a love for him. And I think that people wanted to cheer for Brock. And so I think people were pretty happy. That's, that's why there is kind of a joy in ponytail, overall bearded Brock because we can finally cheer for Brock Lesnar without disrupting a story. And I think that Paul Heyman is going to have the same effect. I think that the idea of a babyface Paul Heyman being the advocate for a babyface Brock Lesnar right now leading up to day one is going to make for, could make for some great television segments. And I think that that is absolutely the direction that should go in. And that's why I, I wish... That they could figure out a way to get those guys on Monday Night Raw because I want more as we build up to day one. That said, I've been thinking about like how do you how do you do this? Like, how do you because in my mind I go, okay, well, you could before Paul Heyman got fired, I go, you could have Roman turn on Paul, no, I wasn't it was going to be uh Paul turns on Roman. You could have Paul turn on Roman at day 1 and have Brock Lesnar win the title. Roman Reigns wins the Royal Rumble, Roman Reigns goes to WrestleMania to face Brock Lesnar. Um I Like this version better because I was skeptical of that because I'm like I I don't I think at some point Roman is going to be a babyface I just don't think that now's the time I don't think that now's the time to disrupt that apple cart I think Paul Heyman being a babyface is actually less risky right now than Roman Reigns being a babyface is I think that the way this is done though the way that I would do it the only way I think to do well there are I mean you could have. Paul Heyman lead Brock Lesnar to the championship and you know have have that act go forward to WrestleMania you could have Roman Reigns beat Brock Lesnar even with Paul Heyman in his corner and now Paul Heyman is screwed there's there multiple ways you could go but for me what 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 creates the most kind of open story going forward is the, is the swerve is that this whole thing was a swerve You know, that's where I think it should go, that as we get to day one, we realize that Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns were manipulating Brock Lesnar the entire time. And Paul Heyman turns on Brock, allows Roman the victory, and we leave day one with Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns embracing once more. And Brock Lesnar, like, it's been cemented. Paul Heyman screwed Brock Lesnar. Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman are together, and they screwed Brock Lesnar. If you can give us that, and then we get to SmackDown, and Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns are just aligned monster heels, then I think there is a road to get to WrestleMania with Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. And at this point, maybe Brock Lesnar is a super babyface, right? Because at this point, we know that Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar are not on the same team. And that's why it's so crucial, I think, that Paul Heyman be a babyface going into day one. Because what you don't want is for Brock Lesnar to turn heel with Paul Heyman, only to have Paul Heyman turn on Brock, and then, you know, Brock's been such a good babyface, to have him turn heel for two weeks, only to turn back babyface, I think would be a huge misstep. I think we get two weeks of babyface Paul Heyman, leading up to the pay-per-view, Paul Heyman turns on Brock, Now Brock has to go. Maybe he has to win the Royal Rumble. Maybe he has to win a match at the Royal Rumble. Maybe he has to shoot a a moose and name it after Sonya Deville. I don't know what he's going to do. But what what I think would be really interesting is if night one of WrestleMania, and I might have to put some more thought into this, but I love the idea. So there's, a, there's two people that I want to win the Royal Rumble this year. Neither one of them are Brock Lesnar. I think you can get to a Roman Reigns-Brock Lesnar match without the Royal Rumble. And I think that the Royal Rumble match would be more effective in pushing another storyline forward. I don't think that Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns stand to benefit from having the Royal Rumble match be added to their storyline. And I think there are other storylines that it could benefit from. You know, I think uh, I think it could be the year for Riddle to win the Royal Rumble. I think either this year or if not this year next year sometime Riddle has to go to the main event. Riddle has to become a main event player at some point. And you know, the idea of maybe maybe Randy Orton beating Big E for the title, maybe Randy Orton turning on Riddle, beating Big E for the title and then Riddle winning the Royal Rumble would lead us to Riddle versus Orton for the WWE Championship at WrestleMania. I love that idea. Or, or you do Rollins winning the Royal Rumble, okay? Here's what I would do. Rollins wins the Royal Rumble. And so we automatically think it's going to be Big E versus Rollins, that these are our matches, Big E versus Rollins and Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. And then I would have Seth Rollins come forward and I'd have Seth Rollins say, I don't want the WWE championship. I want the universal championship. And then they go, well, you can't be in the, you want to do the triple threat thing again? You want to do, I mean, we've done that before. You can't, it's, it's Brock versus Roman for the universal title. And Seth goes, I understand that. Except. I want the Universal Championship match. And WrestleMania, if I'm not mistaken, is two nights. I love the idea of Roman versus Brock headlining night one. And Seth Rollins gets the winner of Roman versus Brock on night two. So if Brock Lesnar wins the Universal title, he's got to defend it the next night against Rollins. If Roman can conquer Brock Lesnar, he's got to then defend the title again the next night against Rollins. And I think that, I i mean, I, for me, right now, today, I could change my mind. But I love the idea of Seth Rollins beating Roman Reigns the night after Roman beats Brock Lesnar for a third time in 365 days. In one calendar year, having Roman beat Brock three times And then Rollins beats him the next night. I mean, it puts Rollins on top, on top, on top of the mountain. I just, you know, I don't know. I feel like there's some poetry in there. And I also think that Brock versus Rollins or Roman versus Rollins is going to be, it's enough to get people excited about WrestleMania without knowing the exact match that's going to happen, you know? And I think that you could tell both stories going in.
1: We're driven by the search for better.
0: I think that you could tell both stories going in so that it's not obvious as to which one of the two is going to get the Rollins match and so that maybe at the next pay-per-view, Brock comes back and wants a match with Rollins. Or maybe that doesn't happen until later on because maybe you don't want Brock to lose again against Rollins like one pay-per-view later. But maybe at SummerSlam, Brock comes back to face Rollins. You know, maybe you do Lashley versus Big E or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. But... I mean, we'll talk about it more as WrestleMania approaches, but that's kind of where my head's at. All I know is for day one, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, Heyman reveals that the whole time it was a swerve. Uh, Looking at the day one card so far, because they've announced a bunch of matches, clearly this is not being treated like a throwaway pay-per-view. Clearly day one is being treated like a major, major show because the card is pretty nuts. The card is a lot bigger than a lot of WWE pay-per-views are, to tell you the truth. Um, We're looking at, of course, uh, like I said, Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. I feel like that's clearly going to headline. We've now got a fatal four-way. Big E, Rollins, Kevin Owens, and Lashley. And this one's very interesting because we found out this week that Kevin Owens has signed a new deal with WWE. I think that a lot of people thought Kevin Owens would be the next on that Daniel Bryan, Adam Cole train to AEW. I don't think enough is being made out of it to tell you the truth. You know, I think there was a time where it was like a given. People looked at AEW like it was where everybody wanted to be and all all anybody was doing, all Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, all anybody is doing is waiting for their WWE contract to expire so they can go to AEW. And I think the fact that he went and signed a multi-year deal with WWE when he could have gone over there is big, and it makes you wonder why. You know, is it because WWE is just offering a ton of money and he went with the paycheck? I I, I have to believe that it's more than that. Is it because he was concerned about how many people are going over there and where he would even fit in? You know, I and and to tell you the truth, is Kevin Owens. I mean, he's he's a a big fish over there in AEW for sure, but based on the other people that have gone over there, is Kevin Owens a bigger act in AEW than he is in WWE? I don't know. But the most important part about all this is that I think a lot of people looked at this fatal four-way and Kevin Owens' inclusion in it as potentially Kevin Owens' last big match in WWE and... They're just going to have him take the pin. I've heard podcasts say this. Well, Kevin Owens, they're doing a fatal four-way because Kevin Owens isn't going to sign, and they'll just have him take the pin and move on. That's why whenever anybody speaks matter-of-factly, like I try to make it really clear on this show that I'm expressing my opinion or just giving, like, here's the way I would do it. You listen to some shows and they're just telling you they're like, "Wow, I mean, there is Kevin Owens is in this thing, so he could take the pin cuz he's gone after the and it's like none of that's true. He's not gone after this. He signed a multi-year deal. We didn't know going in and and WWE who who knows why they put him in. Maybe they were confident that he would re-sign. Maybe they did want him to be in there. Maybe it was all the things. Maybe They said if he re-signs, great. If he doesn't re-sign, he could take the pin. This could be a negotiation tactic where we'll put him in a main event so he feels like he's being used properly as we're negotiating with him. There's millions of reasons he could be in. Or they're just like, this will be the best match for the pay-per-view. That's possible too. Every now and then that happens. So now there's all this talk about making Kevin Owens. People want Kevin Owens to be the champion. I don't think he's going to win this fatal four-way, but I do think personally like this match actually shows that Raw's main event depth I think is deeper than people realize because there's no way I don't think that the Lashley Big E thing is over. You know, I could see Big E in a two to three month rivalry with any of these three guys. I would love to see two to three months of Seth Rollins versus Big E. I would love to see two to three months of more Lashley and Big E. And I would think it'd be amazing to see two to three months of Big E versus Kevin Owens. And I think Big E versus Kevin Owens at the moment might be the most compelling because you've got Big E whose power positivity, smile on his face, he's out there to have fun, and you've got Kevin Owens that can dip back into that real mean, evil way that he used to be. Kevin Owens being the NXT version of Kevin Owens, being the Kevin Owens that beat John Cena for the U.S. Championship, that version of Kevin Owens coming back and being the guy that chases Big E and makes his life a living hell, that's compelling to me. I think Big E leaves day one as champion, but I think that you've clearly got enough here to get way past WrestleMania just with these four alone. Um, you've got uh, the SmackDown Tag Championship, Uso versus New Day, which will, of course, be good, Miz versus Edge. This is another I mean, there are some people that are poo-pooing this, but I I've 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 loved it so far. I think it's great. I think Miz is very underrated, um, especially as a storyteller. I think that this is something that Edge can sink his teeth into. I like that they're going back into the past. I like that they're looking at the two of them. I like that that, that the Miz is taking ownership over the fact that he was way more famous than anybody else was. Uh I, I thought they're I thought that they're uh Miz TV segment last week was a highlight of Raw for sure, and this week they're doing I think Maurice in the Edge talk show. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be good. I think it'll be good. I think Maurice is always good with Miz. Maurice brings out the best in Miz. That act together is money, and yeah, I I, I think Miz versus Edge is going to be even better than people realize. Still, uh, Becky Lynch versus Liv Morgan. I mean, if ever there was a time, right? If ever there was a time to kind of shock the world, if ever there was a time to kind of maybe try to get over a new star or just, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like Liv Morgan winning the title at day one would set Becky Lynch up on a nice quest to go. I mean, it's complicated because Becky Lynch as a babyface chasing a title all the way to WrestleMania is fantastic. But Becky Lynch as a heel chasing the title to WrestleMania only to win is not as good, you know. Part of Becky Lynch's character is the whole Conor McGregor thing. And Conor McGregor doesn't have the same strut when he starts losing belts. So, you know, as much as I think it would be amazing to see live get this win and it would make a star and it would put her on the map I just don't know what that Becky Lynch character is, Becky, the Becky Lynch character is similar to the Roman Reigns character where you've got these, the, the one of the basis of the characters is that they win, is that they're the most famous people on the show and that they always win matches but you know, maybe this is the time, it feels like it might be the time, unless maybe Liv wins the Royal Rumble, I you know but do we need to see another Liv versus Becky match after this? I feel yeah, I feel like unless the title switches, there's no need. I you could give, you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Here's what I might do. There's a pay-per-view in February. I think, I think. I don't think that they've named what it is, but I feel like on that calendar there was day one, then at the end of January was the Royal Rumble. Then there's a pay-per-view in February, and then WrestleMania. So I feel like the way to go is to give Liv. The title here. Have her hold the title for a couple of months. Have somebody else win the Royal Rumble. Then Liv drops the title in February. Becky Lynch gets it back. And then between February and WrestleMania, you build between Becky Lynch and the winner of the Royal Rumble. Maybe Bianca Belair. I don't know. But I feel like that way you'd have Liv getting a nice two month run, getting, you know, hopefully put on a different plateau and uh, boom, we're off to the races. Uh, and then Drew McIntyre versus Madcap Moss. I'm sure that's what Drew McIntyre wanted to do for day one. Clearly, this is going to be the coming out party for Madcap Moss. You know? I mean, he's going to mop the floor with Drew McIntyre. If anybody thinks otherwise, they must watch the show. Uh, so that's day one so far. AEW did something very interesting on on Wednesday. And I kind of wonder if it wouldn't have been more effective to do it on the Friday show. Um But I was happy to see it anyway. They did something for wrestling fans. They decided to allow Hangman Page and Daniel Bryan, or Bryan Danielson, excuse me. That's the shill in me. To go 60 minutes, 60 minutes long on Dynamite. The first hour of the show was a time limit draw AEW championship match. And it was interesting looking at the feedback. Look, for me... I was really hoping that one of the two... I I love disruptance. I was really hoping that 30 seconds before the time limit ran out, Daniel Bryan pinned Adam Page. And only, you know, a couple of weeks into his run, Adam Page has now lost the title. And then he's got to win it back from Daniel Bryan. I think that could have been an interesting story. But even seeing Adam Page beat Daniel Bryan 30 seconds before the time limit ran out, I think would have been cool, too. I would have preferred a finish over the time limit draw, personally. However... We are burying the lead. This is what I thought was so interesting, that there was criticism over the finish. But the fact is that when you have a match that was as good as that match, when you are are, are, are allocating an hour of your television, when was the last time in a two-hour show you had a legit 60-minute time limit draw? And it was excellent. All 60 minutes of it was incredible. This is the headline. The finish is one of those things that you talk about after, like, oh, yeah, I guess we could have gone there. I would have liked that. I would have liked this. The time limit draw was. The time limit draw, even if you would have preferred it not to be a time limit draw, certainly did not take away anything from the match. It's not like you watched a match that was that magnificent and you go to yourself, Would have been good if not for the finish. That's crazy. That's nuts. Okay? I don't mind having a conversation about the finish. But at the expense of pointing out how great the match was, ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's, oh my God, did you see that match on Thursday? Now, I am curious because obviously I have this extreme bias. I am a wrestling fan. I don't know one wrestling fan that could have watched that match and not enjoyed it. I don't know any of them. I do wonder if the fan base of people that are not hardcores, that are like just looking for something cool to watch, if that draws them in as much. Now, am I going to sit here and tell you AEW shouldn't have done it? Hell no. Why? Because we were gifted how can we look at gift horse in the mouth? How can we sit there as wrestling fans and not say, thank you for giving us that match? But I do wonder. Yeah. So the only thing I wonder about doing it on a Friday is would it have made more sense to put it on Friday, take up the entire rampage, which would have been historic. Like the whole show was one match and then have people going like, Oh my God, you got to watch this match that happened on a Friday. Um, you know, I, I I don't think it really matters, ultimately. Like, the headline here is, holy shit, there was an amazing match, but just food for thought. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to Not Sam Wrestling. While you're here, don't forget to please subscribe to this podcast. Don't just download it. Subscribe wherever it is that you got this podcast. And if it's on Apple Podcast. Leave a five-star rating and a review. It helps the podcast more than you know. While you're subscribing to things, make sure that you visit us at youtubecom slash Wrestling and hit the subscribe button there. We've got every interview as well as podcast specials going up every single week for free at youtubecom slash Wrestling. And if you want even more Not Sam Wrestling, if one show a week does not suffice, become a Not Sam Shill at patreon.com slash Wrestling. We do a bonus episode every single week. You can watch the podcast get recorded live every single week. Video of everything that we do, opportunities for Zoom calls, and of course, for everybody that signs up as a Not Sam show, you get every Not Sam Wrestling podcast early and 100% ad-free. Thank you for listening to the show and for your continued support of Not Sam Wrestling. Um. speaking of food for thought, there was a, there's a very interesting comment made on sneaker shopping. Sneaker shopping is a hugely successful show uh, that my friend uh, Joe LaPuma hosts. Uh, Lots of wrestlers have been on it before. Uh, Roman Reigns was just on it recently. CM Punk was just on it recently. But uh, the Young Bucks were on it uh, uh, very, very recently on the newest episode And boy, did they stir it up again. Like only those bucks can do. Listen to this. A little
1: bit. I saw it even like 10 minutes before you guys came, you guys saying that you started
0: sneakers (laughs) and wrestling. (laughs) I just saw someone pick that
1: up. Do do, do you believe that? Like, we had Shane McMahon on the show.
0: First of all, I love that they're laughing. Like it it kind of answers your question with the way they laugh, but yeah.
1: Oh, years right. ago, is there anyone on to smart? You even said Bret Hart, but I can't believe that. I think with us, everything that you see or read about us, take it with
0: a grain of salt, because we're always working. We're always trying to get a reaction. Okay. I feel like
1: we actually made it a trend though. Okay.
0: Because if you go <laughs> on Instagram. No, no, it's, cool. it's almost like he was like he was like trying to take the kayfabe out of it, and then Nick was like No, bro, like let's not take the kayfabe out of it. Let's like, like he wasn't, like Matt was sitting there going like, okay, we're gonna let everybody in on the fact that we're trolling. And Nick was like, uh, rule number one of trolling, never admit that you're trolling. It's it's true. If you you look on Instagram or Twitter or any social media, you'll see wrestlers and sneakers. And that wasn't a thing like three, four years ago. Yeah, like Shane O'Mac might've been the first guy to do it, but I don't think, All the wrestlers were copying it, so maybe
1: maybe Shane's the like the we were talking about being OG. Maybe he's the OG of the wearing sneakers ring. I think we helped make it trendy. Okay,
0: yeah, now everybody's doing it. I think because like we've said, hey, it's okay to do this. You don't have to wear wrestling boots. Like he said back in the day, if I showed up, what 15 years ago in the ring with sneakers, all the vendors would have kicked my ass. Really? They go, you gotta have wrestling boots. This isn't legit. You're not trained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's part of like it it was part of the business back then. I do like that Nick is more pro wrestling and Matt is trying to be mainstream here, but this this is this is this is a much bigger question. So now multiple times the Young Bucks have said that they started the sneakers and wrestling trend. This is absurd. Of course the Young Bucks did not start the sneakers and wrestling trend. However, if you read the stuff that the Young Bucks put out on the internet, and you just take it like you're reading their memoir, you just read it as 100% truth and get mad at it, then you've fallen for it. I mean, this is what the internet is used for. I tweet stuff out all the time. People take it literally and I can't believe anybody's upset about it. But you know what? I guess that's how people read it. It's so weird with wrestling fans who grew up, all of us grew up understanding The difference between real life and entertainment and understanding that we are being presented a product that is entertainment, not real life. But for some reason, when these entertainers that we understand are entertainers go on the internet, all of a sudden it's real life. This is what new kayfabe is all about. Just not blinking. Okay. I think that as fans, we're so used to wrestlers acknowledging when they're kayfabing and not kayfabing. That when you finally have people coming out and saying something that I guess they could technically believe and not winking, that you go, oh, they must not be kayfabing. Of course they're kayfabing. But regardless, we should still have this conversation because some people do come to the defense. They go, the Young Bucks did start the sneaker trend. Who was doing that? And and, and it goes much deeper than just the sneaker trend. It goes much deeper than who wrestled in sneakers first, right? Because people started digging through the internet and they found a picture of the killer bees wearing some black and yellow Nike dunks in the late 80s. Does that mean jumping Jim Brunzel gets credit? You better not tell the Iron Sheik that Jim Brunzel gets credit for bringing sneakers to wrestling. It's not about wearing sneakers in the ring. It's about bringing sneaker culture to wrestling. And the Young Bucks did do something original, okay? Because sneaker culture is bigger than just one thing it's like wrestling there's multiple different types of wrestling fans you can't just go out there and portray a wrestling fan on you know on some other form of entertainment you either have to you could be a basement dweller wrestling fan or 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 a wrestling fan at a bar or a wrestling fan that loves wrestling or a wrestling fan that hates wrestling like there's different segments of wrestling fans, for sure. A wrestling fan that only watches AEW, a wrestling fan that only watches WWE, a wrestling fan that only watches indie wrestling, or some of those weird wrestling fans that just like to watch everything. There's lots of different types. And it's the same way in the sneaker world. The Young Bucks, they represent the type of sneaker fan that just wears whatever's cool. The hype beast. Let's be honest. I mean, the young bucks are not at the weren't at the forefront of sneaker trends. They were wearing mids, for God's sake, for years. When they first started wearing sneakers, they were mids. They weren't the coolest things in the world. But then they started busting out the hype. They shocked the world when they came out with the Diors. They shocked the world when they came out with the off whites. They shocked the world when they stuck thumbtacks on the bottom of those Travis Scott fragments. These are our sneakers that, that make a difference in the sneaker world. And the Young Bucks brought them here. However, what the Young Bucks did was portrayed themselves as people who would come in to a tremendous amount of money and were using that money to co-opt this trend and wear just whatever was the most hype thing. And guess what? It was perfect because they're heels. They gave you a reason. They said, how can we make people hate us? From the tip of our toe to the top of our head. And they go, Well, we could grow out these big beards. People hate it when people grow out big beards. They said we could wear ridiculous hats. We could have clothes that are all like hyped up and match our sneakers that are crazy hyped. And so from the toe to the top of the head, it's heel, 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 heel. Even on their actual heel, they're coming across like a heel. They're using sneakers to highlight their character, which I think is a brilliant thing. But they are certainly not... The first to bring sneaker culture into wrestling, and I, I said, "Who really, who really are the Hall of Famers when it comes to bringing sneaker culture into wrestling? Who are those people that we need to talk about? Because now it's such a thing, right? I feel like sneaker culture is becoming more popular than ever. And by the way, sneaker culture blew up to like an astronomical degree. It was already ridiculous." but it blew up even further over the pandemic after the Last Dance documentaries aired. After that 10-part Jordan documentary aired, Jordans went through the roof and all the other sneakers went with them and they never came back down after it. The Young Bucks represent the post-Last Dance sneaker fan. And that is a huge part of sneaker culture. So I say that with peace and love. But... Sneakers have been around for a lot longer than that. The Jordan 1 has been around since like uh, 1985, something like that. So we go back now and we look at at who the big difference makers. First of all, you can go outside the industry, right? Because there are people that when we're, we're going to have this conversation about sneakers and wrestling and the crossover because it's happening, there are people that deserve some credit. For instance, Wale. Wale has worked very hard to incorporate sneaker culture into wrestling. Wale loves hip-hop. He's a hip-hop artist. Wale loves professional wrestling. He's been featured on professional wrestling before. Wale loves sneakers. He's designed sneakers. He designed a golden sneaker for the company A6 that he called the IC Champion. It was available on WWE Shop. The New Day was wearing them. It was like he took a real sneaker brand, he incorporated wrestling culture into it, and he created something for sneaker culture. That's Wale for you. That's a beautiful thing bringing these cultures together. You know who else brought these cultures together? One of the top sneaker customizers in the game, Mosh M A C H E. Now he's coming out with his own sneakers. I got a couple pairs, but Mosh has been involved in in the wrestling sneaker crossover forever. Mosh has done custom sneakers for Becky Lynch that she's worn to the ring, for Nikki Bella that she's worn to the ring. He's done WrestleMania sneakers for Shane O'Mac that he's worn to the ring. Countless. He's at shows all the time because he's the guy that people go to when they need something uh, incredible that's going to be custom made to highlight their character and whatever it is. Mosh is the number one guy when it comes to that. But when we look at superstars, other than, of course, Jumping Jim Brunzel, who <laughs> who brought this thing forward. I mean, there are a lot of people who get credit and a lot of people who don't get credit. Roman Reigns, for instance. We've talked about Roman Reigns before. Roman Reigns is also previously hasn't been known as a sneaker guy. This heel version of Roman Reigns is the Roman Reigns who is the sneaker guy. But again, that's a totally different thing because that I feel like uh, is Roman Reigns' trying to compare himself to a Jordan for WWE. I feel like Roman for a period of time was wearing classic Jordans that drew this comparison of Roman Reigns being the closest equivalent to Michael Jordan that the WWE has ever seen. Whether you agree with it or not, the character of Roman Reigns that we know now would certainly believe that about himself. And I think that's what it was. But Roman is, and we saw him when he came out with the Travis Scott three, uh, Travis Scott fragments that he was gifted by Jordan Brand. And I talked about that here on the podcast when it happened because it was the closest thing to uh, an NBA pregame show. When NBA players walk into the building, they walk in through the garage and it's like a fashion show. They got the hottest shit on in the world. And that's the vibe that Roman Reigns had. When he walked out in those Travis Scott's. That's the vibe that Roman Roman Reigns has had. When he walks out with his sneakers on a lot of the times. He comes across like a mainstream top level athlete. I think that if there was ever an athlete to be sponsored by Jordan Brand in WWE. Roman Reigns would be that guy. And it's time. It's time I think. That a WWE superstar get a deal with Jordan. Jordan. And I think that Roman Reigns is the perfect guy to do that. But that Roman Reigns is like the is is the like like the Young Bucks represent the hype beast in sneaker culture. Roman Reigns represents the professional athlete in sneaker culture. I think when you talk about the GOATs of sneaker culture in wrestling, of course you go to Shane McMahon. Shane McMahon deserves a lot of credit for popularizing sneakers and wrestling, not only recently, but always, you know, it's usually the, the Jordan 1 is the Shane McMahon shoe. And that is usually how people associate it with, no matter what he, you know, every suit that he was wearing, when Shane McMahon shocked the world by coming back on Monday Night Raw, when Stephanie McMahon was supposed to get, thought she was getting an award, and Shane McMahon returns, here comes the money, leads up to the Hell in a Cell match at WrestleMania, where Shane McMahon wore Jordan 30s, by the way. Shea McMahon came back on Raw in some Chicago colorway Air Jordan 1s. The Air Jordan 1, and it's the Chicago colorway, the colorway that Jordan actually wore on the court when the Air Jordan 1 came out. Classic shoe, one of the most important sneakers of all time. And that was the impression that he made. He wore a suit and those Chicago Jordan 1s. And after that, just about every appearance he made— He had a different pair of Jordan 1s on. And some of them were like, oh, those aren't bad. And others were like, oh, my God, you don't even know what you're wearing. But Shane wasn't wearing it as a gimmick. Shane didn't come across as wearing it as like, you know, I'm going to use this to push this character along. Or I'm going to cash in on sneaker fans and they're going to notice me. I don't even know if Shane McMahon knew how cool some of the shoes that he was wearing were. It was just clear to me that that's what Shane McMahon liked. And that's clear because if you look at Shane McMahon, and and, I mean, talk about not new to this, true to this. What people don't give Shane credit for is going back years before he left, in the early 2000s, Shane McMahon was wrestling in Jordans. He would come to the ring in a suit, and he'd wear his big boy shoes and everything. But I mean, like, when, when Shane McMahon and Vince McMahon fought Shawn Michaels and God, Shane McMahon was wearing Jordan 3s. Shane McMahon wrestled a match against God, and the footwear that he chose were the Jordan 3s. I think he wore Jordan 3s in that match with Kurt Angle, too. There's another singles match with Shawn Michaels. He was wearing the true blue Jordan 3s. Shane McMahon has been a, a Jordan guy forever. And if a matter of fact, if at any point I get the chance to interview Shane McMahon, that's what I'd like to ask him. How come, as a younger man, you seemed partial to the Jordan three? But now the older man that we know seems very partial to the Jordan one. i inquiring minds want to know Shane McMahon, but Shane O'Mac, huge credit for that. You know who needs huge credit for it? And somebody who absolutely, I think more than Shane McMahon, this person made it a big part of their character, but it was also really who they were. And also because this person, I think their character had a lot to do with who they really are. That was, of course... Enzo, my name is Enzo Amore. Enzo, not only would he come out in some hype stuff, Enzo never wore the same pair of sneakers twice in WWE. I think early in the NXT run, you could see him wearing the same sneakers in different matches. But once he got on the WWE roster, he never wore the same pair of sneakers twice. And he cared deeply about what sneakers he was wearing to every show. And he'd wear almost always Jordans. But every now and then you'd see him. I think he wore some Kyrie's at one point. I, You know, I don't remember what else he wore. But Enzo was Enzo was the type of sneaker guy who I would sit down and talk about sneakers with. And we'd be there all day. We could talk for hours. Like it wasn't just, oh yeah, I just saw these sneakers on the internet. It was... Yeah, let's talk about this that's coming out and that's coming out. Now it's supposed to come out, but that's not coming out till there. It, you, it's like Star Wars geeks talking about Star Wars. Like we could sit there for hours and talk about shoes. Enzo and and Enzo, his whole character radiated like he 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 was sneaker culture. Like. Enzo's character was not the athlete, was not the hype beast that just got into sneakers. Enzo's character was the guy who grew up on the East Coast where sneakers were everything, and he's been into sneakers since he was a kid, and the first thing he did when he got money is buy sneakers. That's Enzo. So Enzo needs to 100% be on this list. When we talk about some of the women associated uh, with Enzo, certainly Carmella. I mean, for a while, I think that that was more the Staten Island Carmella character. But you know, speaking of women who doesn't get a lot of credit for bringing sneakers out, Liv Morgan, heavy into sneakers in the beginning of this thing. I don't think she, I I don't know if she wears them now anymore or not. I don't know if the new version, but like Riot Squad era Liv Morgan, NXT era Liv Morgan. Liv Morgan was heavy into that sneaker life from years Year, not just within the last year. Liv Morgan has been heavy into that sneaker life since before she got on the main roster. You know who? Else, you know somebody who's not even in WWE or AEW that deserves a lot of credit for being in this sneaker game is is Chris Bay from Impact. Chris Bay. So there was one of the one of the biggest sneakers of the year this year. This is when I knew that Chris Bay was like, yeah, this is a sneaker dude. I mean, I see him on Twitter and Instagram and stuff. He's always got pictures of sneakers and stuff. But I was like, oh, no, this is this is a guy who it's a big part of his life. Like a lot of us sneaker fans. And so yeah, I mean, if you're not a sneaker fan, it's probably very weird to you. But if people are not a wrestling fan, our passions are very weird to them. So it's just, I mean, it's all the same thing. But when I realized this was a big thing for Chris Bay was... One of the biggest shoes that Nike put out in 2021 is the Chunky Dunky. And it is a Nike Dunk sneaker in collaboration with Ben & Jerry's ice cream. And the whole thing, it's like sky blue. It's got some cow print on it. It's got a yellow swoosh that kind of drips a little bit. The whole thing looks like a Ben & Jerry's container. But it was a limited edition. It's a beautiful sneaker. And people just went nuts for it. People loved that sneaker. I don't have them. I would love to have those. I don't have them. But Chris Bay for one of the Impact pay-per-views made gear. Like, I mean, tights, a jacket, the whole thing. That totally matched the Chunky Dunkies. He made his entire, and as soon as I saw the gear, I didn't even watch him do an interview that explained it. As soon as I saw the gear, I was like, oh my God, this guy made wrestling gear based on the Chunky Dunks. This is the man right here. But that's a guy who's not like sitting there going like, let me follow the hype. That's a guy going like, no, I love these shoes because I love shoes. Let me make gear based on those shoes. I'll tell you an OG in this thing that doesn't get nearly enough credit because he's quiet about it. This is probably the realest one when it comes to people that have brought sneakers forward in wrestling. That's Kofi. Kofi Kingston is, has been doing things for sneakers for so... Kofi Kingston's been wrestling in sneakers forever. He just hit him with kick pads. But if you know what you're looking for, if you're a sneaker fan, you would see them peeking through the kick pads. It wasn't... I don't think... It was really until he started wearing the Jeremy Scotts, which are those, like, I think they're Adidas sneakers that have the wings coming off of them. Remember for a long time, Kofi Kingston was wearing those sneakers that had wings coming off of them, those were real sneakers. Those were not made for Kofi. Those weren't gear. Those were legit sneakers that are were at the time sold in stores if you could find them. And Kofi was wrestling in them every week. I've had conversations. Kofi is like, Kofi is a real, real sneaker fan in the sense that I'll be like, oh, you know, this Jordan retro is coming out. Are you trying to get it? And he'll go, No, I don't really get the retros because they're not comfortable on my feet. And you're like, whoa, this is not a hype beast here. This is not a guy that's just buying everything that's popular. This is a guy that's buying what appeals to his eye and his mind. But he's loved sneakers forever. He wore the, uh, this was years ago. I think it was Steph Curry that came out with like a dad shoe that everybody was kind of dunking on, on the internet. Everybody was making fun of it because it's like, why did Steph Curry come out with a dad shoe? And Kofi wore him on raw and people were losing their minds for it. Cause it's hilarious. And it's just like a tip of the hat to sneaker culture to be like, yeah, I'm with you guys. I see you guys. I'm bringing you guys to this stage. I mean, talk about wrestling and sneakers. I don't think you can go much further than the doctor of thugonomics, I mean, John Cena became so well-known for his sneakers that he got a sneaker deal. John Cena's got his own line of sneakers that are available at Kmart. But it was the pump. It was the Reebok pump that really made John Cena. The Reebok pump complemented the throwback jerseys and the jean shorts so well made him the doctor of thugonomics. People forget the five moves of doom. The five knuckle shuffle used to have a pump that would go with it. John Cena would pump up the tags of his shoes. Before he would drop that five knuckle shuffle, he had to stop doing it, of course, because he didn't have pumps anymore. And he would look like a damn fool trying to pump up a pair of non-pumps. But John Cena roll into the ring in those Reebok pumps. That was a big move. There are John Cena toys to this day that have like, you know, I mean, they can't really make them look like pumps because I'm sure that uh, Reebok owns the IP on that. But you see the little orange dot on the tag of the action figure's foot, you know what it is. John Cena was synonymous with his pumps. I think with, I don't know, I mean, would the Doctor of Thugonomics have gotten so over had he not been wearing Reebok pumps? I don't know. I can't tell you for sure that he would. But when you really break it down, I really put some thought into this. When you really break it down and you try to figure out who was the superstar that brought sneaker culture into wrestling, the answer to me is so clear. The first person that started this trend, it's so clear. And it's really interesting because it actually predates sneaker culture. It doesn't predate the sneaker per se, but it certainly predates people waiting online to buy these things. It predates the Jordan 1. The person who brought sneaker culture into wrestling is the person who brought the spirit of sneaker culture into wrestling. And the spirit of sneaker culture is you're bragging about what's on your feet. The spirit of sneaker culture is that you are showing the world what you're capable of by what you're wearing on your feet. So much of sneaker culture is the simple statement. My shoes cost more than your house. Duh. All sneaker culture is, is nature boying. Woo. nation up and down the block. Sneaker culture is Ric Flair. Ric Flair not only brought sneaker culture into wrestling, I would argue Ric Flair created sneaker culture. So it's not sneaker culturing. So it's not a question of what wrestler brought sneakers to wrestling first. It's what wrestler brought sneaker culture to sneakers. And it's the guy that lived in the biggest house on the tallest hill in the biggest section of town. The wheelin' dealin', woo! Kiss stealin', limousine riding, jet plane flyin', son of a gun, longest line, oldest ride, space mountain nature, boy! Ric Flair, every bit of sneaker culture is Ric Flair taking off those alligator shoes And letting the world know exactly how much they cost. You don't think, you don't think if the world had been what the world is in 2021, when the nature boy was lighting things on fire for Crockett, you don't think Ric Flair would be pulling a pair of off whites off his feet? You don't think Ric Flair would be rolling into the Omni wearing some fragments? You don't think that Rick Flair... Let me tell you something. Rick Flair would be walking into Starcade with some red Octobers. Just because he didn't have the opportunity to do it doesn't mean he doesn't get credit for it. If you ask me, it's really, really clear. Shane McMahon, Kofi Kingston, John Cena, all these guys... Brought sneakers into wrestling, yeah, yeah. But who introduced sneaker culture into professional wrestling? That's obvious. It's the person who taught sneaker culture how to sneaker culture. It's the nature boy Ric Flair. I mean, everybody that's ever bragged about finding a pair of sneakers. Anybody that has stood in line. You know why people stand in line outside a Foot Locker to try to get a pair of sneakers? Because you don't have them. That's why they're standing in line. Why are people standing in line to get a pair of Jordan 4s that look exactly like another pair that you have? Because they're a little bit different than the pair that you have. You don't have these, and I do. Why do people wear a pair of shoes that are more expensive than your mortgage payment. Why? Because I thought I told you my shoes cost more than your house. You need to understand that there are levels to this. And there's Nature Boy and there's everyone else. Sneaker culture is all one Ric Flair promo. And to this day, they're learning from the master. To be the man, you got to beat the man. I truly believe that all of it, all of it, even what the Young Bucks are doing, when they show up to double or nothing with the most expensive, when the Young Bucks show up on AEW TV with a pair of Dior Jordan 1s that are way too expensive for anybody at home to buy. That's why They're wearing them so that we want to boo them even more because the amount of money that's on their feet is more than what's in our paycheck. And what, what is the difference between that and showing up on the superstation with a pair of alligator shoes? You know what the answer is? Absolutely nothing. Who brought sneaker culture to wrestling? The nature boy. The man. Ric Flair. I hope that you feel like this has been settled. I hope that I was able to put some some information into your head. I hope that if you need more Sam Roberts content, that you're going to hit us up. Don't forget the YouTube channel. I'm putting clips up from every podcast, youtube.com slash not wrestling. You can also see all our interviews there. You can go to my non-wrestling YouTube page where I'm doing episodes of Sam Roberts now, as well as Sopranos prima volta. That's youtube.com slash not Sam. Don't forget to go to Apple or Spotify or wherever you get this podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast. Make sure that you've left a review. Make sure that you hit a five-star rating on the deal. If you need more Sam Roberts, you can subscribe. Become a Not Sam shill. Join us on Discord. Get the shows early and ad-free. Get a bonus show every week. Join us on Zoom, whatever you want to do, at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. You'll also get to see me record this live every single week. Uh, And, of course, if you're looking for a last-minute gift for anybody, I'm on Cameo for the holiday season. I feel like such an idiot even saying it but I would love to record a video for you at cameo.com slash not Sam. Happy holidays, everybody. We will see you next week here on Not Sam Wrestling. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate,
1: review, and subscribe. This has been... Not Sam Wrestling. Not